Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. You're listening to the Fade to Gray Network. We invite people of all backgrounds to share their stories. Through nuanced conversations and forward thinking and not taking ourselves too seriously. Everyone's story matters. Every voice is important. Life is polarizing. But not everything is black and white. Come join us as we fade to gray. It is with my great pleasure I bring you a fade to gray episode. Along with me today, I have Chris and Omar, and we are going to sit down with Robert Munson of Subculture (laughs) Incorporated. Uh, Little little bio uh, about Robert. Um, He's originally from Illinois. He grew up. He grew up talking people out of their faith in Christianity, only to be. Oh, con- I, I like this guy already. Well, let me finish that sentence, Chris. <laughs> M- Mama warned me about people like Robert. <laughs> only to be converted. All right, only to be converted in a powerful encounter in college. He has oh, many years okay. of experience in cross-cultural missions, church planning, and college ministry. Additionally, while in Bible college, undertook the task of learning two foreign languages teaching himself piano and guitar, and becoming well-versed in various cultural settings. His main passion is seeing people grow in their faith in a way that is not burdensome. That's a hell of a tender profile. Uh, Right? (laughs) I'm like wanting to steal part of this myself. Okay, so he is passionate about studying and learning from a variety of different faith traditions, authors, etc., and disseminating that information to others. That is one heck of an intro and a bio. How are you doing, Robert? I'm good. I'm good. I'm happy to be here. We are happy to have you, Very glad to have you. So tell us a little bit about yourself. I mean, I kind of laid out in that bio... Um, a lot of your story, but I want to I want to hear about it from you firsthand. Um, I want to hear about your atheism first and foremost. Let's <laughs> let's let's go back to that. You're trying to deconvert Chris, people. Let's hear let's, about it. Let's start in Chicago back in the heyday. That's back when Michael Jordan was still on the team, right? <laughs> hell yes. yeah. 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 So, yeah, yeah. So you Most you live a hell of a time to be in yeah. Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, personally, so I grew up as one of seven children in Chicago, um, and Shot I. Down. 
Yeah, Chi-Town. And I personally chose the atheism route. And um, my parents were, for lack of better terms, they're crazy. And my father was super abusive. Um, and then my mom was a drug addict. So, and she did hardcore drugs. And so, Damn. Um, yeah. So then the notion that there's like this God that loves you and that is actively concerned with your well-being was foolish. And um, I'm a science guy. So for me, it was pretty easy to talk people out of their faith. Although I had never been to church, never read the Bible, and was not well-versed on any Christian things. And uh, so that's sad when I can talk you out of your faith. And clearly, neither one of us knows a lot about your faith. Um, I just have. It just proves that those people didn't have a very strong foundation or whatever, right? True, true, and and probably I would say most people don't, right? I mean, most people, if you ask them why they believe what they believe, it's because they grew up with it. Yeah, their parents did. Yeah, a lot of times. Yeah. What? So, were you the oldest of the seven children? Where did you fall in the like? Middle child. Yeah, I, I'm the second oldest, uh, but okay. I had a sister who she kind of went off the deep end early, and she kind of uh, just she ran away. Um, so you ended up could, have, having a lot of the responsibility of your siblings, then. Yeah, I, in all of them, all of the responsibilities, uh, because my mom eventually she went so deep into drugs that she left and never came back, and my father Jeez. worked. Uh, two jobs. So I don't. How old were you at the time? Um, when everything really hit the fan, I was probably maybe eleven. Oh wow, uh, that's young. Yeah, yeah. No, no so, wonder you didn't believe in God. <laughs> and when you talk about your dad um, being abusive, what mm-hmm. what are we exactly are we talking emotional? Are we? T- I mean, was this happening at age eleven? Like, was there physical yeah. abuse? Like, what yeah. was happening there? Yeah, and let's qualify that because a lot of times people think that when kids get spanked, it's abuse. Or, or you're talking about like actual physical yeah, abuse like, here. It's true. I'm black, so I usually have a different definition of abuse. So my father yelling is an abuse. Uh, um, so <laughs> I, so <laughs> my father, we, <laughs> we just have a stronger definition, right? So uh, I, my father, I. I'm pretty sure he had a rough upbringing. Uh, I don't know him too well, um, surprisingly enough, even though I grew up with him. But um, he really, really did not like me, and he made that known a lot, uh, that especially out of all the kids, he hated me the most. So tons of, like, um, either starving me or locking me, like, in this kind of, like, cage contraption thing. Um, and yeah, that's shit. That's, yeah. that's, that's abuse. Yeah. Um, and so he, I think that's, you need two messages to qualify that. That's coming from the expert. That is C, <laughs> that is CPS involvement and shut up. Omar. <laughs> Continue on Robert. No. So I think my father had a lot, clearly a lot of emotional issues and he didn't have an outlet. Um, but, I served as that outlet. And so with some of the chief uh, like climax moments being where he would like choke me until I passed out. Um, Oh yeah. And so, yeah, yeah. So that, that's, that's what I mean by abuse. So uh, for me, yeah, that's, that's, um, 
that's God. CPS involvement. Um, yeah. At the home, like you know, if proper authorities had been informed. So did that? Like we talked about, you know, your mom leaving at age eleven, and this mm-hmm. was happening. So this was happening when you were under the age of eighteen in the home. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so, um, what happened when you graduated high school? I tried to get as far away from my family as possible. Uh, so my yeah. motto was, I'm going to go to any school that gives me the most amount of scholarship dollars that allows me to get the furthest away from my home. Uh, mm-hmm. So I went to school in Ohio and I'd never been there <laughs> at all, but uh, they gave the most amount of dollars. So I got on a Greyhound bus with uh a couple bags and found my way um, to Ohio. And that was an academic wow. scholarship, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. So academic was was big, and then there was um, some of it was just needs based. So yeah, awesome. Okay, so yeah, qualifies yeah. for yeah. some grants or something like that. Yeah. Did yeah, you? Yeah. So, and what were you going to study at this point? Did you know what you wanted to study in college or just knew you wanted to go to college as an escape to get away from the reality that you grew up in? Yeah, it was the latter. I think, I, I think most people probably shouldn't go to school, uh, college because right after Agreed. high school, you don't, you just had to ask for permission to use the bathroom like a month ago. And now you should know what you want to do with the rest of your life. Like that's trash. It's a huge transition. Yeah. Like that's like, I think there should be like a middle ground, but so for me, I went to study journalism, but that was only because very cool. I was a writer and, um, I shadowed some journalists at the, um, Chicago Tribune and they had an easy job. (laughs) So I was like, (laughs) if I can get paid to not work that much, I'm going to do that. Help me. You're gonna so, do that. Yeah. So at this point, had you had your conversion experience yet? Yeah, no. So I transferred to uh school in Southern Illinois University and um Ohio wasn't doing it for you. No. Ohio's <laughs> never mind. There might be people that are listening in Ohio. No, so it's no, all right. We can trash sports teams in colleges and universities. They do yeah, it all the time. And and Ohio is just <laughs> A terrible place i just oh. like i just it was not a great there is no city in ohio that was like man this is you should be here my personal opinion yeah. sorry I mean, if you live coming in from chicago too i mean it's hard it's- yes uh, we don't have a whole lot of listeners in ohio so you're, you're good Sweet, and I love you as people. Not, not anymore. I know you're <laughs> US people. Well, done in Ohio for sure. Uh, but yeah, no, I had I transferred schools and went to Southern Illinois University, and I had a conversion experience there. <laughs> yeah, but before we before we jump into that, uh, you mentioned that you were a writer. Can mm-hmm. you tell us a little bit about that? Because I'm wondering if writing became something important to you like in high school when as an outlet is happening right like with everything with your dad and if there's like a story there uh with the yeah yeah for me uh writing always came naturally to me i think uh i remember even as early as first and second grade i would make these books um i don't don't even know what prompted me to do it i would just make it um like booklets on some random topic in my free time. And I would just write the content and then make a cover and like glue it together. <laughs> I used to so, do the exact same thing. Yeah. My daughter does the same thing. 
<laughs> Which is I so tried good. to rewrite the Harry Potter uh, series, and I just changed it to. You were Larry a kid Daughter. when the Harry Potter books were out. That makes me feel old. <laughs> Same, and it's a family joke that uh, J.K. Rowling stole all my ideas. Oh snap! Let's go. You could have made that coin. But yeah, I so to totally identify with that. Yeah, I. Uh, so for me, writing was therapeutic. Uh, I was a huge um, reader. And I also was very nerd. Yes. And I was pretty fat. So I definitely wasn't exercising. You were fat. What? You're not fat now. Thank God. Uh, But (laughs) (laughs) that came later in life. Uh, So for me, yeah, reading, writing, all that was therapeutic. Uh, Learning various musical instruments like that was also an outlet uh, to detract from how crazy that home life was. Yeah. 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 So what, what instruments were you playing at this time? I grew up, um, I and learned. Who were your influences too? Oh, snap. Uh, so I grew up and started learning saxophone and then played. Ooh, okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> and played in various like jazz bands. Okay. And orchestra, orchestras and like symphonic band um, bands. And then I had a lot of influences. Um, Kenny G. Yeah, I like him. That's like the main one. What about Galactic? Yeah, yeah. So for me, what I enjoyed, uh, I really, really enjoy um, old, um, like, swing band era music. Um, That was Mm. pretty big. And a lot of jazz influences for me, like uh, Ella Fitzgerald is a big one. Oh, yeah. And then, like, John Coltrane. And people like that were people that I in Count Basie, all those people. Yeah, yeah. So I, I enjoyed like that vein of music. Uh, yeah. So okay. and that was kind of an escape for you, something that you could do to kind of like, I don't know, uh, escape your reality of all the shit you were going through at home. Yeah, when your when your family's psycho, the least you can do is uh, have as many distract di- uh, distractions as possible. Um, I'm surprised Seth didn't get onto you for using the word psycho. Good job, Seth. (laughs) (laughs) But, and and obviously our distractions as a coping strategy is something that I encourage in every single safety plan. And I talk about it on almost every call, but I don't take calls anymore. So my job changed. So I don't have to do that anymore. But that was something that I talked about all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's distractions because most of the time, the things that we're thinking about, are things we can't change. And so by focusing on them, we feel powerless. It's kind of like beating your head up against a brick wall. Oh my change. God, I feel like I'm on an episode of Mental. So back <laughs> to Robert's up. story. Okay, okay, <laughs> Robert, tell us your story. I no, enjoy it. Welcome to Thank you, thank you, Seth. But yeah, I mean, you know, in art and music and anything like that, it is yeah. a beautiful distraction. And it really is one, one of those things because it, it connects yes. like emotionally and on like a spiritual mm-hmm. level and on all kinds mm-hmm. of like different different levels so yeah so that's what's that's powerful yeah thanks. what are some of the things that you used to tell people to get them to to not believe in in god or whatever <laughs> um, i want to know like you're an atheist you're a young atheist uh, a fat a musician atheist. He called himself fat. That doesn't give us the okay to call him that. Come on. I was fat too. I, was, I mean, yeah. 
just because I was a nerd didn't mean I had I didn't have a little swag though. So uh, okay, gotcha. I was a oh, cool okay. nerd. I was a nerd internally, but externally I was cool. Okay, um, okay. but no, I, I for me I think it was more the line of questioning that used to uh, cause people to unravel, right? So if the premise is there's a God, he loves everybody and you, and you want to go to heaven with him, that presupposes a lot of things. Um, and it usually presupposes it uh, because that's predicated on fear and that's predicated on people sharing that Judeo-Christian worldview but if you're coming literally completely from outside of it and you start to ask questions more if if god is this way then why does chicago look this way so the biggest line of uh attack was just looking around chicago actually right so um chicago in a lot of ways is trash so um and like the five o'clock news damn um, we're and, killing, we, we've killed Iowa, Chicago. What's next? No, I, I love that's that's the city that have you ever me. been around Wrigley Field? <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, it's, it's, no it's I love sad. I love Chicago, but if we're honest, it has a lot of problematic things. And so, like our five o'clock news, what the norm for five o'clock news was? Yeah, so you know, teenage kid kills his parents and his siblings. You know, that was like normal baseline behavior. So if we're starting with um, God loves everybody, I don't see evidence that that is possible. And so just even having a critical eye to that and then asking follow-up questions um, usually cause people to uh, think more deeply about their faith um, than they had been used to because they all grew up in Christian homes. Um, yeah. So I think that was the, that was the biggest thing for me. How many people do you think you deconverted? It's, it's, I don't know. It's sad actually a lot. Um, a lot. <laughs> um, I, mm, I don't even know because I, especially by the time I got to college, um, there were a lot of Christians that made it their mission. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to get this dude saved. And um, it's funny, even the, the the girl who ended up inviting me to Bible study, the first person, um, it's, it's funny. I later got saved uh, in an event, but then she became an atheist. So, um, which that said, uh, did you so get you lucky know, at that Bible study? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> that's what yeah. you were hoping for though, right? Yeah. That's, that was the mission field for me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> for most of us when we were in our teenage years, oh, I mean, that's, what, that's what kept me in school. Oh my gosh. In school, I, I mean, in youth group was yeah. like the, the girls from school that were still going there. Oh my anyway. God. No, I get you. No. Yeah. Yeah, so that yeah, so that was it. I don't know. It's hard to guesstimate uh, because what was sad was I found out people who even like stayed strong to my face later than their faith unraveled. But I didn't find that out. Some of those people to years later, which is sad um, now. Uh, but here we are. Yeah. Well, let's hear about your conversion story, man. I'm, I'm excited to hear about it. You have spent years, you know, going through this abuse. Your idea of a father is someone who treats you like shit 
and you're about to hear from a new father, right? So let's yeah. let's hear about that conversion, man. Yeah, it, it's pretty uh, supernaturally natural. So it's kind of anticlimactic in some ways because I um, saw. So I'll give that preface, right? So, <clears throat> so like I said, there had been um, a lot of Christians, especially at my, the campus in Illinois, who kept trying to get me saved, get me to come to Bible studies. Um, they would like pop out of nowhere. Like if I was in, uh, the cafeteria, I'm like sitting with a girl trying to get lucky. And, um, <laughs> and I, like, they would come out of nowhere. Like, Hey, bro, how's it going? And, you uh, still fat at this time. No, no, I'm young, <laughs> strapping, muscular, uh, not gotcha. fat at this time. So you're on the prayer list, man. They yeah. were, they were, they were, they were having meetings like, <laughs> praying for robert and they're like okay so this week sally i really need you to lay it on strong he like look him in the eyes he he, he gets he gets soft on the eyes if you, if you speak to him and look him in the eyes actually what's funny i mean actually you said that jokingly but i found out later <laughs> that that group uh -huh. had been praying for me and they were having specific things and which is uh, i don't know i wasn't that cool but um their they model was yeah. yeah, their motto was, if Robert Monson can get saved, anybody can get saved. Which I don't think I was that bad, but here we are. So, uh, Well, you were taking down Christians, though. So, I mean, you were like... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Clearly, it was like Call of Duty out here. So, uh, so Easter, 2004. Oh, um, oh, God, it happened on Easter. I know. Which, that's like even more like cliche like that. And then the heavens open. Um, <laughs> um, and then I went and, and hit some eggs. Yeah, and then the dove came <laughs> down uh, in December. So, uh, so I woke up and I had. I give this preface because people are like, "Oh my gosh, God was speaking to you." That's literally not what I thought, but I heard this voice talking to me, and. It was audible. Yes. And it was quoting this like gibberish. And I'm like, okay, wow, this is so weird. But for me, what I thought, uh, because I have a history of mental illness in my family. Um, and my, like my, my mom even spent time in an asylum. So I wasn't like, Oh my gosh, like this is the savior I've always been waiting for. Um, but it was audible. And I was like, Whoa, this is crazy. So, um, but I had the, one of the phrases was Jesus Christ is the son of God. Now that also sounds cool, but I had never read the Bible and I had never heard that phrase, which is its own funny thing. But, um, I mean, that's pretty supernatural. That, that yeah. Yeah. I never, so, so well, how could you, how could you effectively, lead anyone away from Christianity without knowing that Jesus Christ is Lord or the son of God. Like, how does that work? That shows the shallowness of discipleship and what we're teaching kids in our youth groups, but that's a different topic. Um, Cause didn't you like hang out with people like that were part of the church scene in, in a lot of this no, stuff? No, 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 no. And no? so, okay. so there's always this um, like uh, hypothetical situation that people pose like, what happens to the people who are on an island who have never heard of Jesus Christ? Like, do they go to hell? And I don't have an answer to that, but my pushback now is 
in metropolises all over America, there are plenty of people who have never heard of Jesus Christ. We don't have to go to an island in the bush somewhere. Like I was in yeah, Chicago. Just go to there. Joel Osteen's church and you'll yeah, you'll meet fun. <laughs> father. But but I say that because I was in Chicago and now it's humorous because there are churches everywhere in Chicago. So it's humorous that I literally never heard the gospel one time in any way. Um, in any way. In all the Christians I knew in high school, the only thing I knew about Christianity were people who were supposed to be good, but they weren't because the worst people in my high school were Christians. Um, so that makes that, sense. So that was literally the only tenant I knew of Christianity. Um, so anyway, so I had this urge, like, I should get a Bible. And again, I did not equate the Bible with Christianity because none of the Christians I knew in high school were reading the Bible. Um, <laughs> so I, so what's funny is I started reading the Bible every day. I opened up to the middle of the book and started reading from Matthew to revelation every day. And, um, it was in there that I saw some of the quotations that I had heard, um, the day before. Right. And so for me, that wasn't supernatural. I didn't give my life to the Lord. I didn't think anything of it. I just started changing my lifestyle based upon what I was reading in the Bible. So a couple months later, um, I guess the stories of that had been like leaking out to people and people were like, Oh my gosh, Robert, like we heard you're a Christian. I'm like, hell no, I'm not a Christian. Um, (laughs) they're like, we heard you've been reading the Bible. You believe in Jesus, Jesus. And I'm thinking, yeah, that that has nothing to do with Christianity. And they're like, yeah, that's what that is. So, so, uh, so for me, what had been interesting is for, for a couple of months, I had been living a lifestyle based on what I was reading, but because I was so unchurched and unevangelized, I did not equate what was happening in that process with Christianity. Right. So for me, I feel like, God took a different approach than what happens with most people. Um, Like they have some kind of emotional meltdown and then they give their life to God. Mine was like kind of bypassed my intellect and I just got saved. And it wasn't until the unfolding of that, that I realized that Jesus uh, was God, et cetera, et cetera. So it's kind of like I started living the Christian lifestyle and then the knowledge of that caught up to me later. So so you didn't have any sort of like altar call experience where you went down and, ex- you know, said a certain prayer or anything like that. You never experienced anything like that. Your salvation was a process basically is what you're saying. Yeah. And it was a process completely alone. And I think that's, that was what was interesting for me because there is literally even today, like I can't think of one reason why I was reading the Bible. Like, like I was having a quiet time without knowing that that's what it was. Or I remember throwing out like my Usher CDs. Like, I don't remember like even <laughs> why I thought, I don't know why that's like the primary CD that's in my mind. Um, maybe cause that CD was hot at the time, but uh, <laughs> at the time I remember feeling like, man, I probably shouldn't listen to this and read the Bible. Um, later I didn't have the same thought and conviction but it was just interesting at that time like um there were a lot of things that i just did based upon purely what i was reading in the bible 
and uh, taking from that, right? So, yeah. Wow, that's interesting, man. Yeah. It sounds like an organic experience, like as if you were chosen. Yeah, that's how I feel because there was no, there was nothing that led to it. I I wasn't like in some hyper emotional state that I felt like God is what I need. I, I've never, like, I didn't feel that. And so it's funny, even after like I started going to church, people are like, are you tempted to not believe in God? And it, it's been weird ever since that day. I now trust me. Now the church can be a piece of, <laughs> but God and I have been on lock since that day. Uh, believers. Uh, I have tons of thoughts about believers, but uh, God's cool though. Yeah. Robert, man, I have an issue with your story because mm-hmm. you prefaced it with, it's not very supernatural. And then you went on to tell me about how you heard audible voice speak to you and, and, and tell you scripture. And I've been a Christian for 39 years and I can maybe think of like not even five people on my hand that have ever claimed to hear the audible voice of God. And you know, like it's always been their own voice or something else, but you heard a different voice speak, Mm -hmm. whether it was something God or, whatever who whatever you want to say that it is that yeah. led you down this path it's mm. i mean that's pretty fucking supernatural <laughs> true i i think well i mean of anything this i mean this might sound cliche but for me your story is more supernatural to me because because of actually hearing that to me if somebody were to say well god's not real i'm like no but i actually heard that like, so to me, it's very easy to believe in God. Like, it's very easy. What seems weirder to me are people who grew up in the church who literally just believe because they are, like, stretching out by faith. To me, that seems scary as hell to me, if I'm honest. So for me, I think hearing hearing that voice is awesome, and I wish, like, I could be like, and God talks to me like that all the time. Like, no, that's the only time. And it was significant, but it wasn't, to me, it's very easy to believe in something that is confounding your senses, right? Man, one of those hot chicks put a damn tape recorder in your dorm room. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, got him. Next level (laughs) evangelism right there. (laughs) She worked hard for that. It's okay. She got the scalp. Got it. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you, and I, I don't want to be insensitive, and I don't want to be rude. No, you're fine. That's that's your like mo, though. I know, but I don't want to. I, <laughs> he doesn't know me, and with new people, I don't like to be rude. You're I like fine. to kind of like you know let them ease into it, and then I hit them all at once with it. <laughs> okay, um, ease the rudeness. Okay, ease it. So you said that your mother had um, mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Did she? Did she hear voices? No. Okay. But especially back, but I, w- I would say why that was a concern is, especially when I went to school, um, we were not as far along in the mental health conversation right. <laughs> as we are right now. <laughs> and anything that seemed disruptive is like, you are insane. You're crazy. You like, 
like it, anything that seemed mentally challenging in any way, it was like, there was no spectrum. It's like you go from zero to a thousand. So, right. And yeah. normally you get locked up yes. at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah. 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 So, but, but you, you don't know any history of like hearing voices or anything. And you haven't heard that voice more than just the one time. Right. Oh, that'd and be cool though. I mean, you hear the story make- about his dad too, though, Chris. I mean, I think any woman would go crazy if they, had to deal with that too. that's the only other thing to think about though it's yeah true. that's that's a and lot. yeah yeah i wish i did because i could probably sell some books if i heard um the voice more than <laughs> once because my book my book ministry would be popular uh, you just need to put that in the title i heard the audible voice of god <laughs> yeah I, it, it's a bestseller trust uh, <laughs> yeah yeah seth do people like with schizoaffective disorder like people who hear voices and stuff is that like an ongoing thing or can it happen just once Jesus. Normally, it's ongoing. All right, I'm just hey, in, I'm order, in order to have this guy's out here telling his conversion story, and you're I'm trying to call him crazy. All options. I, it doesn't I can't, I'm can't all even options. with you. In man. order to have a diagnosis of schizo, <laughs> schizophrenia or schizoaffective disorder, you have to have ongoing um, <laughs> auditory well, that's hallucinations. What I, that's what I now, figured. You can have like um, a psychotic episode. Episode, yeah. You yeah. could have. Well, you um, said that I didn't. Or been dosed with some LSD. <laughs> well, and that's the other thing. There's also drug-induced psychosis. Uh, you never got into any drugs, did you? No, surprisingly. Uh, but that's, well, that's probably because you saw what there. it did to your dad, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and just or your look, mom. Excuse yeah, me. My mom. And looking at her life, I was like, no, nah, I'm cool. Homie. But for me, no, this line of questioning literally doesn't bother me. Well, good. I'm, I'm glad. And it shouldn't. Right. If, you, if you're if you really strong in your faith yeah. and you really believe that was the word of God, I mean, yeah. you should be okay with it. Yeah. Yeah. In the, in the, so yeah. what, are you going to amp it up now, Chris? <laughs> no, I'm done. I, I just, I was curious. It's just you know? begun. It's there, just there are begun. people out there who were thinking the exact same thing that I was and I had the balls to ask and no. I apologize. No, so, no, no. Whatever. Don't apologize. Uh, I probably, <laughs> I'm a pretty raw person. Um, so, I asked the hard questions too. Yeah. Well, good. I mean, that's yeah. good. Yeah. If a Christian can't handle hard questions, how strong yeah. is their faith? Exactly. We're just yeah. getting started. So let's continue on this journey. Mm-hmm. Yes. So Ohio to Illinois. And what was the degree? I was studying journalism. Journalism. Okay. And then you started experiencing this thing where you started experiencing your relationship with Christ organically. To me, Mm -hmm. that makes you feel as if you were chosen um, Mm -hmm. or something of that nature, as if you were uh, handpicked outside of the system. Um, You a Calvinist then? Interestingly enough, it's hard for me to answer that, right? Because like I hate Calvin. I hate a lot of things about Calvinism. (laughs) I'll just say it that way. That's a nice umbrella. But yeah. My salvation was Calvinist, <laughs> so I, like, so then I'm like, bro, I don't know. I always thought it was weird that people were one way or the other. Like, if God's big enough, why can't He do both? Exactly, which is where I've landed because I, my whole like, even after that encounter, I've read the Bible pretty much every morning since 2004, and I've never felt like some people are like really struggle like reading the Bible is hard for me. I've literally, all jokes aside, never felt that. And I think that I want to feel that because I don't resonate with that. Like, 
I've always wanted to read the Bible since 2004 onwards. Uh, so yeah, so for me, it's kind of like the package deal came with it um, for me personally. Gotcha. But go ahead, Seth. What were you, you going to say? Well, <clears throat> I'm really jealous of that. And almost, you sound like a, a, like the Apostle Paul, like as if you were handpicked. But tell us, with this experience, as you start um, growing closer to, to God um, in this encounter, like where did this lead you? Because, I mean, we got to get to subculture incorporated at some point. So I kind of want to know, yeah. as you started to experience God in this real way, in what ways did you change and where did that lead you? And did you finish school from yeah. Southern Illinois? Yeah. So what interestingly happened, um, maybe seven months later, eight months later, um, after getting saved, my father ended up shooting someone and the bullet went through the kid's jaw and hit his spine. Oh my God. And, um, and How sorry, were you? Uh, I was, I, I had just turned 19, I think. Um, and so, so this is like a, I think 19. And, uh, so, um, both my father and my mother got, uh, locked up because the thought was that she, um, eyewitnesses had said that she told my father to shoot the person. Um, and, so even though it was a self-defense act because a group of people attacked my parents right in front of their home, this isn't the movies and the movies, like you shoot the bad guy and you walk off in the sunset in actual cities, you go to jail. So, so my father got sentenced to 53 years in prison without um, the eligibility of parole. Um, Are you serious? Mm, yeah. That would not happen here in Texas. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Texas is an interesting person. And it might, if yeah. someone came in my, and was harassing me and I shot them on my property. I'm scot free. You get also yeah. have completely different color skin too. Yeah. I was going to say that too. Um, yeah. But, I think even, even yeah, someone I of think, color. Yeah. I think here, yeah, I think somebody of color, Texas has better laws in that regard to it than Chicago. You definitely, that blows my mind. Yeah. So, wow. so what ended up happening, why this is relevant is I ended up, um, having to adopt all of my siblings. Um, and the youngest at the time was getting ready to turn five years old. And um, so I had to take all these kids in and I had to stop school. So to answer your question, did you finish? No, because I became a pops, um, which wow, the circumstances were obviously tragic. And then a lot of trauma coping with the kids and helping them get in the new normal was rough, but also our parents had been so traumatic that especially the youngest ones had only ever known me as like a parent anyway. Um, so that wasn't as unusual like transition as it would be for some people if they were like a college sophomore. Uh, for me, it wasn't really that, um, weird i just stopped going to school and had all these kids living in my apartment in a college town so um so yeah so for me when you ask like where did it lead me directly right after that is like i had to run a whole household and try to navigate trying to raise these kids um and probably leaned in real heavy to your new faith at that point too. yeah and my new faith and it was like so uh, everything was kind of crazy um then 
Go ahead, Seth. If we want to tie in that Calvinist perspective right there, mm-hmm. um, it's almost as if this happened to prepare you yeah. for what just occurred. Um, yeah. It's, the, the timing of that is interesting. And I'm yeah, just wondering if that's coincidental. Yeah, because I don't know how I could have done that without the faith. Because my parents' uh, journey and trying to defend themselves over the next year uh, was draining financially, emotionally, physically, trying to navigate life with these children um, was such an abrupt change that it's like that was difficult to um, – yeah, so everything. So – so for me, I don't know how you would do that without the fee. Um, you know, so yeah, yeah. That is absolutely just astounding that you were able to take care of those kids. Powerful and story. Do that at such a young age, you know, mm-hmm. like that's an incredible feat. And you probably, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know how they react to you now, but I'm hoping that they are very appreciative and loving um, for what you did for them. Yeah, because it became, I had to go to court over the next year to make it legal, uh, to, to make the adoption legal. And so for them, it, it was, no, it was normal. I'm, I guess when you're in a traumatic situation, this wasn't like unusual in that sense. So, so for me, I've only known them in that vein, right. And like, mm-hmm. so it's normal for them and it's normal for me. So it's like, now that they're older, that, I've only had like this parental relationship with them. So, yeah, man, it's been, it's been awesome getting to know you and you have a very powerful story, but we have to get to know what you're doing now. Um, yeah. like, cause it seems like, so subculture incorporated, let, let's, let's, let's jump into that. Um, because I mean, I get it. You know, we talk about faith a lot here. We talk about deconstruction a lot. Yeah. I think this is the first time we've had, an atheist turned Christian on our show and, and talk about, and talk about that type of a story. And it, it's, um, it's definitely powerful and inspiring. And I want to know, um, what you're doing with all that now. Yes. Yeah, so, so now, uh, so I work for an organization called subculture Inc. And we started it, uh, because, I had been doing work in campus ministry for years and noticed that there was like this huge gap of actual um, ministry, specifically when it came to black and brown students. And we noticed that the organizations that we worked for always attempted to reach people in ways that mostly were conducive to white people. And so but our black students had questions, concerns, um, and issues that our white students didn't have. But it seemed like the answer was the same, this cookie cutter answer to both. And we knew that there were nuances and layers to it. And, but I feel like that even in the deconstruction phase, it's the, the majority of people leading the conversation tend to be white people, if I'm honest. And so then things are geared towards that. The books that are sold are geared towards that. The philosophical issues raised are geared toward that. But meanwhile, black and brown people are like, all right, that's not even our concern. But like, and so, 
so we pulled the trigger in starting a nonprofit um, to deal with some of these barriers that black students faced that people were not paying attention to. Like, what are some of those concerns that they're maybe being completely missed by the majority white culture? Yeah. Yeah, I think one, it's cultural awareness, um, like even in the way that you minister. So like often what has to happen for a black person to come into predominantly white spaces, they have to leave their blackness behind. But a white person coming to the faith does not, it's not required for them to leave their whiteness behind. And one of the chief examples is like in a lot of ministries that we served in, it was like, hey, if you come to the faith, Beyonce is demonic, but Garth Brooks is not. Right, like, <laughs> no, they're like that's just they like, really, they they really say stuff like that that Beyonce's oh, yeah, yeah, demonic. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah because oh, she's yeah, yeah, yeah. a preacher's daughter. She started out good, and then Jay Z yeah. is the one that turned her because it's the whole Illuminati, and she's completely demonic. Yeah, and there's oh, wow. been some music videos that she's been in that have had some demonic undertones that have been kind of True. questionable. But the energy that is required to like, it's literally not the same. Like. I, I've been on staff with people like, oh my gosh, there's Michael Jackson playing in the room. But I'm thinking, but when like, if we're in a secular place, and Pink and Floyd sec- plays or something, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no one is reacting. And I'm thinking this, this uh, environment is hostile to trying to win black people to Christ because you're not even aware of the differences in music or, or why people do what they do, right? So one of the ways that we've answered that is to create material uh, centering black students in their experience. So if we're gonna talk about Hebrews, we're not going to do it in a way that is conducive mainly for white people. We're going to tie in things that are culturally relevant to us. And a lot of white people come to our site and our podcast and stuff too, but they're not at the center of the conversation. And so that has been a huge blessing is to create material uh, where whiteness is not at the center. Isn't it Um, crazy that you have to even do that when we're talking about a book full of black and brown people? Like there's not even any, but you have to create something (laughs) to make it conducive, the Bible conducive to them, but it's like the Bible for them because that was, I mean, Jesus wasn't white. The Bible is a black and brown book. (laughs) And then the very fact that we're like, man, we got to do this radical thing is already <laughs> trash. Yeah. Um, so, so making things that are like, that are more multidimensional and maybe include authors, singers, and artists that are like, if we're going to talk about like something. Some maybe, or something. <laughs> yeah. Or, or we might use Gucci Mane as, oh, okay. as an example of something because that's something that people are aware of. And we might tell the gospel through that rather than, yeah. okay. um, uh, an example that doesn't speak to them. So, so that's you're one. not worried about secular then, you know, no, that big, um, not me personally, not me. Uh, maybe some other people are, but um, because all of those are springboards to talk about God rather than trying to segment God in this nice Christian save box. God is speaking through a variety of means all the time. Yeah. And I mean. go ahead. So. Listen, God, it, we, we have Christian music and non-Christian music for a reason. Oh, my God. Here's uh, okay. the white person trying to put you back in the box. That's right. <laughs> trying to get me back in here. Oh, the, the humor I think it on says that. a lot about uh, systemic racism, you know, that yeah. I, I've never even thought about having to change up the way that you present the gospel 
to minister to people of color. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that we've Americanized Jesus so much says a lot about that. But I, I don't know. I think a lot of people create their God to look a whole lot like them in the first place, you know? And so since, speaking, since Christianity, you know, really, I guess, took off in Rome and, and that's kind of why we have it here is that it really kind of is a white religion. If you think about it in that, people in Africa weren't worshiping Jesus. Well, they were a long time ago. They were because the Ethiopian eunuch was in, was Ethiopian. Right. So um, and he brought the message to him. Yeah. And so actually Af- Ethiopia was the only one of the only countries to resist colonization because they were, their stance was we already know God. Um, so they successfully defended themselves, which is why Ethiopia looks um, vastly different than a lot of other nations that were subjugated by uh, colonization, right? So, yeah, but yes, to your point is, I, I agree largely, like, the gospel that we have here has mostly been tailor-made to this one one group and um, at the expense of everyone else globally. And so, so yes, so culturally relevant. We also provide scholarships. That's one of the big things we do is, like, for a lot of kids coming to us, like $50, it will make or break their whole semester, which is right. sad to me. Like, and we did ministry at Emory University too, and with largely white population, those kids had a lot of money for the most part. And what was sad is like our, um, our students at Morehouse or Clark or Spellman, like a hundred dollars literally would keep them going in the semester. And so providing those scholarships is a big thing. And I felt like what was hard is we would be in these ministries trying to give them the gospel, but these kids are hungry. Like, and I felt like that was an imbalance. So like working with my colleagues, we're able to do both. Like, yeah, we can give you the gospel. Yeah. We can teach you a lot of things, but we're also like, here's a thousand bucks for your semester. Right. Like, and we're not going to require that you like, come through this entrance and be saved like no this is like we're going to help you where a lot of organizations don't even think to they're just concerned with you becoming spiritually a christian um that's not even our primary benefit uh or the thing that we're 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 looking after so so those are examples of two barriers that i would give um are cultural and financial yeah thanks that's um that's incredible thank you thank you what's your method like is this like a community are people, are you hanging out with these students? Are there small groups? Is there how, like, is there, a, is there a campus presence? Right. Like what, what is this? I mean, this is awesome um, to hear. Mm. I mean, I'm, it's, I'm thinking honestly of uh, Shane Claiborne and kind of hearing what you're doing. Um, yeah. Kind of, his, yeah. Uh, kind of his upstart with the living way. And I'm just like, I'm just wondering like, what does that look like? How does this play out in on the ground? Yes. Yes, yeah, so there, there are a couple of different dimensions to subculture. Like one, we are not a campus ministry, but we resource a lot of campus ministries, I will say that. So whether it's through our content, um, I personally oversee the content team of people. And so those people are writing blogs, articles. We've written a book. We're writing another book right now. Um, I'm co-writing a book like on the theological implications of hip hop. And like... Nice. Um, so I oversee the, <laughs> so I oversee the content uh, 
side of things. Um, and we also have a consulting piece where we go and we like train leaders um, and we, prov we write and provide curriculum. Like here's a more holistic way to disciple um, a black student that you probably aren't aware of. Um, so people come to us. And so we provide curriculum that we've written that engages um, like a black student from a variety of different ways, not only spiritual. Right. Um, yeah. So mm -hmm. it looks like a lot. Of, so a lot of times uh, leaders will come to us or students will come to us through our website and then they will ask us for either more resources or they listen to our podcast and then they will sign up at and ask for a scholarship. We have a lot of like connects with campus leaders who will send people to us. Um, so we kind of provide the fuel for other, like not just campus ministries, but a lot of churches come to us um, to, to just reach black people in general. So we kind of like serve as kind of a fueling station. Like we don't want to take your flock. We're just like, we're giving you things that will help you, you know, so. I think that's incredible. Um, yeah. What is the podcast called? Is it called Subculture Incorporated as well? Yeah, so we have two different ones. One is a little bit more raw for people. Um, <laughs> so one is called Where is the Lie? And mm. that's with two co-hosts. And we talk about the intersection of our faith. Deconstruction is a huge part of it. And okay. race and, poli and politics usually finds its way there. Um, and things like culturally relevant, like, for example, we we had a whole thing arguing with one of our co-hosts about Jay-Z. Um, so, so things like that make it on. And then we also talk about the Trump administration on there, too, <laughs> from a black Christian perspective. So it's kind of spicy. Um, so, so there's that one, Where's the Lie? And then the second one um, is called uh, The Hive. And so that's a lot of different contributors from our organization, um, have a variety of episodes. So each week there's not necessarily like a theme. Um, <laughs> there may be like four episodes come out a week and they kind of hit you from different angles, whether it's like an explicit Bible teaching or a raw conversation. Um, but it's kind of like something it. different every week. So where can people like, if they feel compelled to donate, um, to you all, where can they do that at? So Robert Monson Ministries. Uh, no, I uh, no. So, yeah. PayPal. You know, I'm like it's coronavirus, baby. Uh, no, so uh, you can go to subcultureinc.org and there's a giving. Uh, oh, fuck that. Tab. Let's give. Yeah, Robert Monson Ministries. Let's give to Robert Monson Ministries. I love it. What's that PayPal? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah but subcultureinc.org there's a giving uh thing awesome there. well seth just got a bunch of expendable money from the government and uh he was talking about how he wanted to give i'm i'm okay. really excited about that i'm seth. feeling god using you brother seth <laughs> <laughs> what in the world is this i just it's, no. it's, a, it's a word from the lord and and, and confirmed by two or more witnesses need you I, to sow that seed seth i feel it god will bless you seth you want to be blessed, right? <laughs> and highly favored. This is not even fair in the slightest and should not be aired. Um, everyone, please check out Robert's website and please donate. Clearly, good is being done. Um, not only regardless of religious belief, the support that they're providing to students who need it. 
Yeah, um, fuck the god shit. I'm really excited what you're doing with the kids. Like that's so incredible. It's, ama- it's amazing. Man, yeah, fuck you. the kids shit. I'm really excited what you're doing with the god thing, man. <laughs> <laughs> There's no, man. I just think I, I think I mean, your story had us blown away and I think your ministry is legit and worth giving into and worthwhile and honestly, Robert, I'd have you on anytime talk deconstruction. Um, yeah, I'm gonna check. I'm gonna check out your podcast because I'm oh. all I'm all about spicy. So <laughs> I apologize. I mean, don't apologize. I'm the one dropping the f bombs like they're hot, hard no. candy for people. <laughs> no, you're good. Thanks, you guys. I appreciate it. No, it's been fun. Seriously, good job getting this interview, Seth. Uh, you know, I'm here all day. Okay, I'm take back my compliment. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> This episode of Fade to Great was brought to you by our Patreon. Head over to patreon.com slash fade to great podcast to become a member today. We are having our very first online virtual conference on May 16th and 17th. It is completely free. We've got names like Carl Idlewild and Renee Ocean, Aaron Weiss from Me Without You, Rick Ross, a cult expert, David and Lisa Lunsford, ukulele russ amanda martin and the guest that was on this episode robert munson head on over to fadegraypodcast.com or any of our social medias to find out more information thanks for listening to the fade gray podcast Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion? Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.